Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, Chris Denary joins the show to discuss the new season and what we're watching closely. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. Well, the Pacers began the tune-up portion of their schedule earlier this week in New York, a hell of a place to get started. Madison Square Garden, the Mecca, wasn't quite like it would be, one number one, because it was a preseason game, but also the Yankees were playing in a critical wild card game, but nonetheless... How about that for rookies Chris Duarte, Isaiah Jackson to start their NBA career under the bright lights right there at MSG. That had to be fun for them. It was beautiful. Uh, You know, a guy like Miles Turner said they really enjoyed it. They certainly didn't play like it, though. A slow start, a poor disposition, a lack of fire in the guys to get started. But again, it was the first of four practice games. For us, it was the first opportunity to see this group and see what they looked like and did under an entirely new coaching staff as Rick Carlisle returning for his second stint as Pacers head coach. Uh, by the way, the third head coach in three years now for this organization and right now still paying two different head coaches. But nonetheless, during the game, how about this? The Pacers completed a trade in the first half. It was with the Brooklyn Nets, and it wasn't surprising, um, only the timing was, but to move off Edmund Sumner's contract. He's in the final year of his deal. He's out for the season, sadly, after he suffered that Achilles injury uh, in an offseason workout. And by dealing him, plus a second rounder in 2025, that originally is Miami's. The Pacers opened up cap space, now about $2.8 million, which is enough to do some deals, whereas before it was like $1.16, which not even enough for a veteran minimum. But they freed up that space and a roster spot. And then on Wednesday, they used that free roster spot to add 32-year-old guard Brad Wanamaker on a camp deal. So he's there potentially to earn that third-string point guard spot behind Malcolm Brogdon and behind TJ McConnell. Carlisle uh, believes in the importance of a third-string point guard um, and his availability, knowing injuries will happen, knowing you may have to slide players into different positions. And so clearly by making this deal and bringing in a guy like Wanamaker, it tells you he was not satisfied to this point and what over a week's time he had seen from the other options there, like Dejan Giroux, who's a rookie on a two-way deal. Kiefer Sykes um, is the guy that Wanamaker will mostly be battling right now over the next week and a half. And the two have similar stories, by the way. They had to go overseas for a bulk of their career. Sykes in his late 20s. Wanamaker, 32, and it was Brad Stevens in Boston who gave Wanamaker his start, his first opportunity in the NBA, and that was in 2018. He was with the Hornets and Warriors last year. Meanwhile, Sykes, Midwest guy from Chicago, he's here and trying to stick on an NBA roster for the first time. Wanamaker practiced with the team for the first time Thursday. Here's some of what he had to say afterward. It came about pretty quickly. Uh, they reached out. Uh, but the last 48, uh, I've just been excited, you know, ready to get going. 
uh, picked up some of the schemes and offense and got to participate today. So it's been fun. How big a challenge is it to join camp this late and have to, to pick up the concepts and systems quickly? Uh, it's a challenge, but you know it's also a challenge in which you want. You know, you, you got uh, a step behind a few guys, but uh, you want to come and compete. You know, so when uh, you're behind, and sometimes, especially basketball, you know, you like to be the underdog and you like to come fight. And sometimes that's the best for you. You know, once you learn the NBA game, um, it's hard for you know others to come in adjust right away. You know, it takes some time, it takes reps, uh, it takes a lot of film study. You know, um, so. You know, being that this is going into my fourth year in the NBA, you know, I learned a lot. I learned the pace of the game and just, you know, the little mix and knacks of getting by in the NBA. Right after seven seasons overseas, why were you able to break through eventually with Boston? What led to that start in the NBA? Uh, just development. You know, just being over there, developing my game, uh, playing at the highest level over there, just, you know, constantly, I, I guess, being successful. And I uh, just drew some eyes on some teams in the NBA. And, you know, Boston, I made my breakthrough uh, with the NBA. They gave me an opportunity. I'm forever grateful for Brad Stevens over there. And, uh, you know, it works out well for me. Do you, do you feel like after a few years you got that stigma, he's an overseas guy, and you had to try to break that uh, after a few years? Yeah and no, because you've seen uh, a lot of European players come over and make that jump uh, to the NBA and play well. You know, so um, obviously it's hard for America to go overseas and come back to the NBA, especially if you haven't been drafted. You know, um, but, you know, once you come over and show what you can do, you know, doors open. Uh, right before me, I think uh, Malcolm Delaney was the guy that made the jump from overseas to the NBA. So, you know, he opened up some doors for myself. When you look at this opportunity, you see just kind of a healthy competition. You know Rick wants somebody reliable at that third point guard spot, and that's what you're going to try to put Yeah, I mean, I think it's an honest chance of me being able to come and compete for, you know, a roster spot, you know, wherever it may be, uh, whatever role that may be. But I think it's an honest chance of me being able to come and compete. What type of things did Mike Weiner go over with you yesterday as you were walking through stuff? Was it offensive sets or? Oh uh, yeah, a little bit, both offense and defensive sets. Uh, just getting me acclimated, you know, just uh, with the guys we're working on uh, and my time not here. So uh, just trying to pick me up the speed uh, for today when, when I was competing with the guys. Wanamaker will wear number 10. He's with the team in Cleveland and will likely see his first action Friday night. One exhibition game down, three to go. The two next week are both at home and will both be on Bally Sports Indiana with the TV voice of the team, Kristen Airy, who you'll hear on this podcast. But first, don't forget for the next week, get 20% off when you subscribe at fieldhousefiles.com. That's where all my written work and even some videos, exclusive photos and such go live. And that will get you full access to both new and all the previous stories I've written and it's delivered right to your inbox, so you'll be the first to know. Now, let's get into my conversation. Here it is with the TV voice of the Pacers, Kristen Airy. You're 16 for you, CD. Does it feel like you're at 16 at this point? Uh, no, it doesn't, Scott. It's, uh, you know, it's really, it's hard to believe. It's been, uh, you know, 15 years going into 16. Um, you know, when, when you get to do this in your hometown, it's really, really special. Um, and I think back, uh, you know, I was the voice of Butler for 17 years. I did the Indiana Fever for 18 years mm. and now to do the Pacers for 16 years. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's really neat and, uh, you know, jazzed up about another year. I've been immersed in, uh, updating score sheets and uh, getting all those things ready for our first telecast next week. You're eight also, by the way, with your, with the trio. And I think with that comes... I mean, you already had, obviously, exceptional chemistry with Quinn Buckner, but adding J.J., and, and at this point, it's probably like a well-oiled machine, right, where you know what, what others are working on and where you can lean on, and, you, and Quinn knows when you need to talk, and you know when to toss it to him. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, uh, I, I go back with J.J. I hired him uh, at Fox 59 back in 2004 uh, when I became the sports director there. We had an opening. I worked with Chris Hagan, who's still there. And yeah. so I've known J.J. for a long time, and we brought him over as a producer. And then you're right, he's been our sideline uh, reporter and pre-, half-, and post-game host now, you know, for, for a number of years. Uh, so, yeah, we've all worked together. We do have one newcomer this year behind the scenes who we're really excited about, and that's Brian Woodrum, who uh, is better known as Woody. Uh, he's a native of Sheridan, Indiana. He worked for the Colts. I worked with Woody uh, when he oversaw the uh, Colts production uh, back in the uh, early to mid-2000s when I was the uh, radio postgame uh, show host of the Colts. And so Woody's coming in as our brand-new producer. Okay, uh, He's got a great background. Uh, he's produced games for the Charlotte Hornets, for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, he does a lot of TNT national games. He's worked with Brian Anderson and Reggie Miller and Kevin Harlan. So he's going to be a really outstanding addition to our team. Uh, everybody else is back. Eddie Gill will be back on uh, pre and post. Ken Sothman is producing uh, Pacers Live pregame and, and postgame, of course. We're led by Jamie Burns, our VP for broadcasting. He's one of the best directors in the business. So uh, Quinn and I are ready to go, and uh, our whole group is ready to go. And and Pat Boylan will also uh, be in the locker room or, well, whatever we can we do. We hope so. As far as, I hope so. <laughs> uh, yeah, whatever we can do as far as uh, uh, those post-game interviews are concerned. But Pat will be a part of that as well. So Woody, coming in as producer, for, for those wondering that you're kind of scripting things and, and planning ahead and trying to get packages set up and whereas Jamie Burns is director calling out take two take this shot right he's kind of I don't know setting the script for what you want to accomplish and uh, I assume he replaces Max Linewald who went out out west I think to LA over a year ago yeah yeah he works with the uh, LA Angels uh, Valley Sports West um, and then does some uh, Fox uh, broadcast out in their studios there. But yeah, yeah, Woody is responsible for sort of mapping out uh, what the night will look like. But again, it's a live sporting event. And so um, while you have a roadmap, sometimes you have to veer off that. Uh, but yeah, we're excited to work with Woody and uh, can't wait to get started next week. You talk about your prep. I know we all know at this point the, those great st sheets that you use. All of us use them. Myself, Pat, when he's doing play-by-play -play for the Fever and elsewhere. At what point, uh, maybe during the offseason, do you get started on those, getting the rosters organized, updating coaches? There were something like nine head coaching changes. Little things like that that you have to adapt to. Yeah, it was probably somewhere mid-summer where I started uh, working on uh, each of the 30 teams in you know of course including the Pacers uh, updating those as you said the the head coaches uh, the assistants uh, what the records were last year home road conference overtime uh, what what teams were like when they scored 100 points or more 110 120 when they gave up those amount of points so all of those things are going on to my chart and then as we speak I'm continuing to work on those because of uh, roster additions, roster subtractions, and of course, in a couple of weeks, when we get ready for the regular season and we're narrowed down to the 15 uh, players on the main roster and the two two-way players, I'll fine-tune those as well. And, and what I'm really doing right now is really focusing on 
probably the first 10 to 20 opponents. Okay. So I, I I sort of go in order by the way the schedule is. Clearly, uh, you know, my, my charts are ready for next week as far as the preseason is concerned. So I'll, I'll have everything before opening night is ready to go in the regular season. Uh, I'll have all those charts ready to go. All right, well, not only is the season back, but the good thing, as you kind of mentioned, we're not exactly sure of the circumstances, CD, but we are back around the team again. You're at practices, and that's huge, especially with the new coaching staff. I mean, I felt like we still never even knew the coaching staff from this past year, but for you and your broadcast crew especially, you're able to attend practices. Generally speaking, what do you try to observe there, and what have been some of your initial takeaways under Carlisle in this new group? Well, I've been very fortunate uh, since I took the job 16 years ago. Uh, it started Donnie Walsh, Larry Bird, uh, Kevin Pritchard. I've always been able to go to practice from the start to the end. And that does not happen uh, in other spots around the NBA. Uh, 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 people that are play-by-play -play or analyst talent um, with other teams, they, they don't get that opportunity. So uh, to me, it's, it's, as, it's as much not just seeing what they're doing on the floor. It's just the, the trust, I think, that you build with the players and the coaching staff, that they understand how committed you are to your craft and that it's very important for us to be there um, to see what these players and coaches are doing. And, and so I think that's as valuable as anything uh, in building that relationship. And, and clearly that was something that didn't exist a year ago. I never met Nate Bjorkren or any of his staff members in person. So think about that. This year, finally, uh, this summer, I was able to actually introduce myself to Calbert Chaney, who had been with the Pacers coaching staff a year ago. And I finally got to introduce myself and, 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 and talk to Calbert a little bit. So I think that's all very important. What I've enjoyed the, uh, a lot is, is seeing how Rick Carlisle delegates uh, authority and practice to his assistants. Those assistants have voices. Those assistants lead drills. Uh, Lloyd Pierce and Ronald Norad has have focused on the defense. Mike Weiner, with assistance from Jenny Busick, you know, work on the Pacers' offense. And then Rick comes. Rick is there teaching, uh, you know, making a comment, um, all those kinds of things. But I, I think him empowering his assistants has been something that I've been very impressed with. Yeah, and you're exactly right. Those are the little things that you're able to observe right away and that I was most interested in myself. And, and so I asked Rick about his philosophy and all that because that was one of the big detriments we heard about uh, the previous staff and that type of thing. And, and Rick very much is in control, as I understand it, but at the same time, he hires them for a reason and entrusts them to, to take over and handle Things like that. I think on a good note for you guys, too, talking about Bally Sports Indiana, for one, it's your first full year under that new umbrella, um, and you guys will have 81 of 82 games. Every game you're allowed to. The one, of course, TNT has the exclusive rights for. And I think one thing that was cool, I, I had Pat on the podcast and talked with him briefly about it last year, but one thing you, thing you guys established yourselves last year was kind of your own morning shoot-around with Zoom calls with other broadcasters and such learning about the other team because normally that would happen hours before the game in the arena. I bet for you it was probably great because you reconnected with so many old friends, but also you would pick up on things that those broadcasters were able to witness and see being on that beat every single day. 
There's no question that your best ally uh, as a broadcaster is the opposing broadcaster, the home broadcaster for the team that you're playing, because they, like me, they're around their team the most. And while you gain a lot of information out of game notes and articles on the Internet and all kinds of things, uh, by listening to games and talking to those broadcasters, you find out a lot of information that you might not have known. So that was something that Mark Boyle and Pat Boylan put together last year. It happened on a regular basis. We will continue to do that this year because um, if you look throughout the league, it's probably a 50-50 situation where teams are traveling at least to start the year and some aren't. I mean, we're, we're going to start out by not traveling through the first you know, month or two of this season. Um, we've got a great setup uh, at Gamebridge Fieldhouse down in the studio, um, so it's, it's, it's pretty comfortable. It's, it's not like being there, uh, but uh, we'll continue to do that. And this gives us an opportunity to talk to those broadcasters that aren't traveling because there are, like us, a number that aren't. So um, that, that's just important to stay connected with uh, all of those broadcasters throughout the league, uh, gain some information, um, and, and just have that one-on-one -on -one opportunity to connect that you know, we haven't gotten uh, in the last year or so. Now, will the, the setup be the exact same as last year or tweaked a little bit? And why I'm asking is, of course, again, there were more renovations to the Fieldhouse. I was curious if that directly impacts you by any means. Uh, from, a, from a road standpoint, no, uh, okay. we'll be in the studio. From a home standpoint, we'll be back on the floor uh, in, a, in, a, in really a brand new location, if you will. The scores bench is, is different. It's shorter. And then there are, I think, eight seats between the scores bench and then our table, where we'll broadcast from, and then right to our right, as we're looking at the floor, will be the Pacers bench. Um, the, the stat crew is now off the main scores bench. They are in the second row uh, behind the scores bench. Uh, so uh, th that'll be the exciting thing, Scott, is from a home perspective, to be back down on the floor yeah. uh, where we can communicate with the officials, we can see things that are happening on each bench, um, that that'll be something that will be nice to get back to uh, once the preseason starts next week. Fans may not realize, but that's actually significant for you to be able to do your job even better. How many times does the official or even an assistant coach bop over and maybe say something to Quinn Buckner because of his long history in this league and they can explain it and then you guys can discuss on the air. So, yeah, not only visually is that important, but it's more insightful for us watching on TV. Yeah, we're looking forward to that. I mean, and I think, as, as I've told people, we're taking positive steps forward, right? We're yeah. able to go to practice. We're able to be around the players. We're able to be around the coaches. Now at home, we're back out on the floor. Whereas you said, the officials can come up and explain a call during a timeout. Or, as you said, one of our assistants can come over. I mean, I can't tell you how many times over the years <laughs> that Bill Baino would be over uh, talking to us or asking us to see a replay. So all of those things are good um, and, and will make it feel like a more normal season. Anything else new that we can expect for telecast worked in, whether it's more gambling aspect or, I know, statistics, that type of thing? Um, have you guys planned anything coming for this upcoming season? Well, the one thing the NBA has talked about, you know, gambling, of course, uh, 
you know, is, is prevalent in the sponsorship and all those kinds of things. But I think at this point, you know, how the NBA has approached uh, us as broadcasters is we'll, we'll probably stay an arm's length away from that. We know that things are changing over the years. Uh, but but I think from that standpoint, I think what you saw last year will be uh, will, will continue to be how we've handled things as far as that is concerned. Gotcha. Sponsored segments, JJ, before the game mentioning basic things. Uh, makes a lot of sense. All right, let's transition into basketball and what we've seen. It's been just over a week. We had media day and again, fortunately, be able to be there um, in person. The trouble is, of course, is the health of this team and it doesn't help when basically what I expected to be your top two scores and and TJ Warren and Karis LeVert missing time so it's kind of you know you you look elsewhere and we we're recording this after the first preseason game so we did get to see a little bit there and, and Chris I think my two big takeaways are what we saw from Chris Duarte the rookie and how he's shown both with Summer League and, and what we've seen in this last week that he is quite ready. And then I also thought Miles Turner impressed. It looked more agile, quicker, and maybe that's in part due to his offseason slimming up, getting comfortable with where he's at, and more than anything, also getting healthy. What have you seen from those two or, or anyone else? Yeah, I, I asked Miles about that after the game. Uh, you know, we, we saw that last year where he was – consistently able to put the ball on the floor and get to the rim. And I, I thought early on his first two baskets against the Knicks were were just that way. Uh, that will make his three-point shooting, I think, even more effective because now when you're out on the perimeter dealing with a 6'11 player, you have to wonder, is he going to shoot the three or is he going to try to put the ball on the deck and, and get by me? So I, I'm very impressed with what I've seen from Miles in the preseason and what he was able to do on opening night. Chris Duarte, I mean, think about it. Uh, Rick Carlisle, when he went to his second unit, he had two rookies out there, Duarte and Isaiah Jackson. Uh, Duarte plays fearless. Uh, They want him to shoot the ball. Uh, He's a terrific perimeter shooter, an excellent three-point shooter. Uh, I've really liked watching Isaiah Jackson through all of training camp, and I think one of the things you'll see – Uh, as we saw against the Knicks on Tuesday night, was playing with T.J. McConnell. McConnell will find both of those players. He will find Duarte uh, for rhythm threes, and I think he'll have a number of alley-oop opportunities and and plays down the lane that Isaiah Jackson will be able to finish. So I think think T.J. McConnell will be a key player with that second unit in how he sets up those young guys to be successful. Yeah, for how much... Even Isaiah talked himself about being a little raw and very new and needing a lot of reps and opportunity. I've been impressed. thought it's been notable how much, one, the team officials and Rick have hyped him up, saying you know his, his versatility and defense, breathtaking and things like that, and also how he's already inserted into that second unit. And, and not, you know, we'll probably see him get some time with the G League, but between his defense, shot-blocking influence, and then, yes, uh, being a – a rim threat, a guy they can throw it up to, something they haven't had. That That's a new dimension that I think Rick Carlisle and this offense can unlock a little bit. Yeah, I think they, they just they, they need more players like him, and that's why he's so impactful yeah. on the floor, even though he's so young, because he's athletic. I mean, that's been the one thing that this team has struggled with over the last few years is not being as as athletic as a number of other teams in the NBA. Can you win games? Uh 
not having the same number of athletes? Sure you can, but it makes it a lot easier when you have some players that can do some things like Duarte and like Isaiah Jackson. So I think that was one of the things that uh, the front office looked at when, when you think about the draft back in July is we need to have more athletes that give us an opportunity to be creative both offensively and defensively. And I think that's what they've gotten in, in Duarte and Jackson. Yeah, needed to get faster, a little bit more athleticism. And to the detriment here, two of the top players when it comes to those departments are out right now. Or Well, now Sumner's gone because um, obviously them completing a deal there. And that made sense. I expected for them to either waive him or, or trade Edmund. We'll get into him in a bit because he deserves a little um, conversation, I think, about him. But getting that athleticism and everything is huge. But also, I think what we've seen and heard from Rick, the theme thus far has been defense because they realized, one, that's always been the identity of this franchise and something they can – you know, hang their hat to use that old cliche. And last year, it just wasn't there. And it was it was both stylistically and I think how players were utilized. And it's going to take some time. And I'm curious to see what elements Lloyd Pierce especially um, adds in there. But don't you think it was just so important for them to reestablish what they were doing defensively? Um, and that was something that was lost, I think, when when Dan Burke went elsewhere as well. Yeah, I think uh, there's no question. I mean, this team just was not good enough defensively last year. And I think, you know, based on what we saw on Tuesday night, they showed some signs of that, of not being where they need to be on a defensive end. I think schemes will be totally different. Um, I had an issue last year with just maybe some of the schemes and how they were trying to do things. I thought it put players in very difficult situations. And, and so I think that's something that Lloyd Pierce and Ron Norred will really be working on. And I think it was eye-opening for this group on Tuesday night, um, just to get out there and try to figure out how they need to do things um, against a Knicks team that I think is, 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 is much improved uh, even this year over last year. I mean, they were a playoff team a year ago. I think there are high hopes in New York for Tom Thibodeau's second season. So I, I think it was a good litmus test. I mean, you want to be able to take video and use it to teach and to show players this is how we don't want to do it. This is how we want to do it. And uh, I, that's what the preseason's all about. I mean, there's no question that when you bring a brand-new coaching staff in with a different way to play, both offensively and defensively, it will take a group a while mm -hmm. to figure out how how to master what that coaching staff is trying to do. Yeah, and I don't put too much into at least the first couple of preseason as they're trying to, one, just break a sweat out there, get their conditioning back, remember what it's like to hit somebody else on the other side. Um, I would agree with you. The schematics last year, I never understood why Domas traveled more than any other player in the league defensively guarding guys from the three-point line. And I thought they became too dependent on Miles being the safety net back there. And then when he missed the final month of the season, that became a, a real liability. But you're, you're going to add Chris Duarte, too, who's a, a two-way guy and I think will help on the wing. Same thing with Torrey Craig because you could tell, um, Chris, with their offseason moves how much of a focus that was. Just about every guy they brought in had a, a defensive element, a toughness element, and they just have to get over this early setback of, of what Karras is up to and when – we don't know, uh, T.J. Warren might be able to resume action. Yeah, and I think what it, what it has done, Scott, and we saw it happen last year, 
Justin Holliday and Doug McDermott, who had very good years. And, and of course, we know it led to Doug getting the big contract yeah. to go to San Antonio. Career years. Um, th- those two guys had to play way too many minutes. And I think that that's what you don't want to see early in the year with no Warren, no Levert. And we're not sure when Karras will be back. Um, that you're you're going to have to ride too many minutes with Justin Holiday and Jeremy Lamb. I think those are two very good players, but but I think you want to be responsible to them with their minutes. And uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see what Rick Carlisle has up his sleeve, especially with with the injury to Levert. I think we all knew a few weeks ago when the Pacers said, hey, T.J. Warren is not quite ready, mm-hmm. I think everybody understood where he was in the rehab situation. The Levert thing happened, um, you know, that night after media day, and so it was a really shock uh, to everybody that you didn't have him available. So that puts a little bit of pressure on Holiday and Lamb to have to produce in a starting role, at least here early in the year. One thing I've always said here recently is I'd love to see them have a true point guard. I feel like they have not had one since Jamal Tinsley. And and Malcolm, I, I was curious how he felt after running the offense last year. Does he still want to be a, a, the, the point guard, or would he be good with playing off ball, that type of thing? Obviously, he's going to carry on um, in that point guard spot. But I think we're going to see under Rick Carlisle, especially as he's not satisfied with that third-string point guard, and they're bringing in Brad Wanamaker um, as he signed with the team in a camp deal on Wednesday I think we realize Carlisle truly values that point guard spot and what that individual can add and so he's got veterans now with Malcolm with TJ and perhaps Wanamaker joining that list yeah and I think one of the things that that Rick has preached in camp is ball movement mm-hmm. um, and so what you have is especially with that second unit I can see TJ McConnell handling the ball a lot because he's always on the move. He's always probing, and that's why you saw Duarte get opportunities and Jackson gets opportunities. I think with that first unit, especially when you get Karis Levert back, that ball needs to move. Um, And so I think Malcolm, even though he starts as the traditional point guard, he will end up a lot of times off the ball because he won't have the ball. That ball may be in the hands of Karis LeVert. It may be with Jeremy Lamb. It may be with Holiday, whoever. And I think we saw last year that that Malcolm, to me, had a very underrated year. Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people forget he averaged better than 20 points per game. He shot the three better than he did in year one with the Pacers. And, and so... I think he's pretty comfortable no matter what's happening out there on the floor. Yes, he's listed as the point guard. He brings the ball up the floor the majority of the time. But I think in in the way that Rick Carlisle wants to play, when a rebound happens, it does not necessarily have to go to Brogdon or McConnell. It can be Sabonis bringing it up. It could be Lamb bringing it up. Um, It's to push the tempo, get the ball up the floor, and get into your half-court offense, hopefully before the defense is able to get set. And that was a clear uh, distinction um, that they made. Is Last year, they were trying to push the pace and were among the best in fast break points, but it was more get it to the guard and then run it up. Whereas, yeah, with Rick... Anybody, take it, grab it, go, and let's see if you can beat the defense down the floor and, and take advantage there. Um, I'll be curious. I would like to see Justin Holiday eventually, if you get the health of the rest of the team right, 
to be able to move with that second unit and reestablish himself there because I think he's one of the best three-point shooters on this team, and I think he, he then can become more of a focal point, whereas with the starting group, he's kind of an option, much like Miles Turner. But again, we'll see how that develops, you know, a week, two weeks here as they kind of begin the season. How about Sabonis? I mean, he, the thing, too, with him is he was just steady and reliable, good for a double-double, really good for 20-10 and 10 last year. And I think the, the one thing I'll be watching, too, Chris, to start the year is how does he and, and Miles specifically react to this new offense and how they're trying to utilize more five out but in their own way. And we've seen pick and rolls between those two big men, dribble handoffs, launching more threes. Yeah, I saw one of those last night. You mentioned it. Domas had the ball on the baseline. He drove baseline. A double came, and he kicked it out to the perimeter, and there was Miles shooting a three. I thought the way the game started, the action that the Pacers ran, uh, you know, with Brogdon, Lamb, and Sabonis, and it ended up with a drive by Sabonis down the lane. I think you'll see a lot of that this year. I think the movement out front can create opportunities to get the ball into the paint and to the basket. It's not your traditional lob the ball down to the block and go to work. Because at times last year, we saw Domas struggle because teams loaded up, on, especially on his left hand, right? Um, and, it, and they tried to make it difficult for him uh, in those situations. Now, Domas is a very willing passer, but a lot of times it can be difficult out of that double team. So I think they want to put him in position where he can be successful uh, in that in that low post game, but not in the traditional sense. I just think that's something Rick would rather see that ball move around on the perimeter and get some paint touches uh, and then go to work at that point. Honestly, from the first preseason game, maybe the most telling concerning stat to me was the fact that the Knicks only turned it over four times. It tells me the Pacers defensively were not good enough when you're only forcing um, those four turnovers. Let's look ahead to the schedule briefly in terms of this start is very difficult. We heard Rick discuss this, but I think 12 of their first 19 on the road, you're going to learn very quickly what this team is about. But on the positive side, I think that it'll be a real opportunity for the team to do some team dinners, to come together in a way that they were really unable to do over the last, I don't know, season and a half. Yeah, and you think about uh, the first two home games, you have Miami and Milwaukee on a Saturday and a Monday. Uh, you've got San Antonio and New uh, San Antonio and New York. You've got a long road trip. Uh, you start November with those two home games, and then you play seven of eight on the road. So yeah, the, the, you always look for positives. Uh, while you you hate to be on the road that much early in the season, it does give this group a chance to bond. It does give uh, them a chance to to get to know their assistant coaches more, all those kinds of things, because you're around everybody. You're not going home after practice and coming back to uh, the facility either for practice or a game. So, uh, yeah, it's it, it's a difficult schedule. Uh, you get into December where you have a, a six-game homestand uh, from uh, December 1st to December 13th, but Scott, I remember when I got the job 16 <laughs> years ago and I sat in Donnie Walsh's office and he said, you got 41 home games and 41 road games. They put them together for an 82-game schedule. Doesn't matter how you get there. Everybody has to face it, and that's what the Pacers will have to do this year. Yeah, that middle of November, or really November is going to be brutal because the one-off games, if you really think about it, that's another road game. They're traveling, getting back home, playing one game, and leaving it again. So it's basically like a tough 
10-game stretch, I think, right there for the team. A um, couple last things I wanted to hit on. Edmund Sumner, so much potential, so much hope for him. His body, much like a, a guy like Greg Oden, just would not cooperate. And, and I think he was, like Miles Turner was saying last night, I think he was poised for a breakout year this year, um, but then all of a sudden went down, ruptured his Achilles at the team facility going through things. It's heartbreaking. I just feel for the guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you think about what he's been up against, uh, was injured at Xavier, that really cost him his rookie year. Uh, to see him develop and, and contribute like uh, he has the, the last couple of years, it, it is heartbreaking. And, um, you know, Pacers needed to, to do what they needed to do, so they included him in the trade to Brooklyn. Uh, and, and now Brad Wanamaker, who has played in Boston for Brad Stevens, has played with Golden State, uh, I think ended last year in Charlotte. Uh, uh, so it'll be an opportunity for him to see if he can make this team. And again, gives Rick Carlisle and his staff, as you said, a veteran guard that he can utilize in the backcourt. Because I think, I think as everybody knows, it's unfortunate, but there will be injuries. And uh, if you look back over the last two years for the Pacers, how often have they had a full complement of 15 players that were all healthy? It just has not happened. So you have to make sure that you have somebody that you can rely on in a critical situation, and right now that's what they feel like they have in Brad Wanamaker. Yeah, you could probably count the number of times on one hand, unfortunately. Last year, I think it was 24 different starting lineups, 250 games lost due to injury, and, and, and so forth. So hopefully, I don't know what it is, the voodoo doll goes away or whatever because they've had a, a rash of bad luck. Anything else on your mind, Chris? I appreciate it. Looking forward to this year and uh, and, and the possibilities for this bunch, because what we've seen with Rick is he he likes veteran groups. He likes a tough, defensive-minded group. Yeah, just looking forward to Friday night to, to see this team take another step. Uh, and then, uh, again, we'll have the final two preseason games against Memphis and Cleveland next week. Um, and then uh, two games on the road to start. Uh, opening night against Miami on uh, the 23rd. So it's here, Scott. Yep. I mean, there's no question we've... Uh, you know, I was reading this the other day that if you think about it, last year at this time, it was the NBA Finals for the 2020 season. And then back in July, we had the Finals in 2021. And here we are in 2021 getting ready to start the 21-22 season. That's literally three seasons have touched each other in the span of, what, 12 or 13 months? So uh, it, it's sort of hard to put your arms around, but it, it feels good to be back on a normal schedule. For sure, and beyond just the challenge of that, now you're going on your third system for the guys uh, here for the pace. So you got to understand it'll it'll take some time there. But we'll we'll check you out, Bally Sports Indiana, all season long, and the final two preseason games as well. CD, appreciate it as always. All right, thanks, Scott. Good stuff, as always, right there with CD. He's a good friend, mentor, and I love seeing him basically every single day with the Pacers. I give him credit. He's at practices. He's skipping golf opportunity to be there at practice, to get insight that informs what he says on the broadcast and also helps him and shapes conversations during that broadcast, even if he doesn't talk about it. I think that's valuable, and you should be knowing that behind the scenes, even when he's not on the air, he's working for you. 
That will do it for this episode of the Fieldhouse Files podcast, and I'll talk to you again soon.